to you! Jennifer, wait a minute. Who gave you a place to stay? Who are you supposed to be protecting? Jennifer? Hey! My lawyer liked that. Blood and Black Rum Podcast presents Scream 3. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from ColdSploitation.com and I'm joining my co-host Martin. How's it going? And we are back with another one of our Scream Marathon movies. So we've done uh, two now in this series. Obviously, there was originally intended to be only three. And then they added on, they tacked on at the end of it, and gave it another film in the series with Scream 4. So, how dare you call Scream 4 tacked on? It's tacked on, because when you watch Scream 3, all intents lead to them doing a trilogy. And then it even says it in there. But you can't believe it. Yeah, that's true. If if you've learned anything from horror films, when they say, it's part of a trilogy... It's the final chapter. Yeah, it never, never is. That is true. You you can't believe you can't believe it. You you you've. Uh, I think did they even mention it in Scream Four? I don't know. We'll, we'll, we would actually get to that later on. But um, <laughs> honestly, I can't the, the only Scream Four that well. the only lie in a franchise that made me angry was when Halo Three lied and said finish the fight. Scream Three is one of those films that is not really. I don't know. I feel like people remember the film, and yet. It's not well regarded, for one thing. Uh, it's not if you look on like critics' um, reviews and, and Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb and some of the other aggregate scoring for the film. Not really well reviewed. Um, I feel like people like to pick on Scream Three quite a bit as like the the detriment to the series. Um, and you can see that in some ways the reasoning behind it because the film was meant to be the the wrap up. The, the conclusion to Scream as a series. And when you take it in that sense, um, I think you ha- you might have some issues with them trying to, uh, like what Randy says, go back to the beginning and kind of start over and, and, and reveal secrets that were not there in the first film. Well, when we get to Scream 3... Because they didn't play it out. Exactly. Yeah. When we get to Scream 3, and we're not working with writer Kevin Williamson anymore... Um, I think that's actually kind of a good thing. Well, it can be a good and bad thing, but I mean, he doesn't, Williamson doesn't get a chance to like finish out his, his ideas. Uh, Aaron Kruger is the, the screenwriter on Scream 3, uh, still directed by Wes Craven. But I think that in some ways, you know, Kevin Williamson at this time is doing a little bit more, um, had taken some more onto his plate in 2000. He had already done all of the screams. I know what you did last summer, Halloween H two O, a couple others as well, and maybe he got too big for his britches with Scream Three. I, I really don't know that. There could have been uh, some production issues that you know led to him not being able to finish with Scream Three. But regardless, I think that you have some issues in Scream Three with a, a series that's trying to wrap itself up 
with a trilogy that was never really proposed or um, I don't think that it was ever on the books that that, that would actually scream would become a trilogy. So you're, you're trying to shoehorn in a lot of things that um, as a trilogy you might expect. And Randy gives some of those rules in this film, but I don't think that that was really the intention um, when they first began with scream. And I think you, you sort of end up with some loose ends that don't really make sense um, and some things that r- come out of the blue, like just completely, uh, one minute you're thinking something different. And then the next you're learning that Sydney has a brother, a half brother, and you know, they have a, a different family that, um, is related to Maureen from the original film and her death and all of those things kind of culminate but they don't really resonate that well with the audience. They're all things that have been made up for Scream 3 that uh, kind of just were forced into this plot for no reason. I mean, just to just to give another sense of like this trilogy being wrapped up with a satisfying bow. I don't think that really occurs in Scream 3. I don't think anybody is super satisfied with Roman as the uh, antagonist in this movie. Um, I think it kind of would have been cool to have, uh, a fake out towards the end where Cotton came back and was like, oh, no, actually, I have been, <laughs> well, I have it, been leading this murder. Well, as I say, as we joked, uh, when we were talking about it in, through Texas, uh, this morning about Scream 3, seriously, guys, it's Cotton. <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, because that would have done what Randy presents. It would have said, you know. There were secrets at the beginning when we started this franchise that um, you're not privy to. And in the third one, we break it out for you. It really was cotton. Yeah. And I think that some of the issues with, like, having an antagonist like Roman is that you've never met Roman until Scream 3. He's barely in the film for, like, I would say at least 50% of the film he's not even on screen. And they kind of force in this little uh, brother, sister, Maureen was sort what actually was a gigantic slut, like uh, Billy had suggested in the first film. And she had a secret family. All of that was like no hints given to the audience. And I think that that is probably partially why this film has leaves a bad taste in the mouth for some viewers because it seems to like kind of negate everything else that went on in the previous two screams. So yeah, podcast over. That's it. <laughs> End of discussion. No, I'm just kidding. But just to start out, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Scream Three. I'll admit, um, it is. I like I've seen it probably quite a few times and I do remember seeing it like right when it came out. I remember one of my friends and I, uh, we used to watch it so often that we storyboarded the comic of it. Um, <laughs> we made a comic out of it. I remember distinctly rewatching Randy's, uh, videotape and like trying to get it word for word for the script, uh, so that we had the, the trilogy rules set out. Um, this was back. I mean, I had to been like, what? released in 2000 so oh, i was like 10 yeah somewhere around there but scream 3 made a big impact on me when i was 10 years old <laughs> uh but I'll, I'll say now i haven't watched it in forever when's the last time you watched scream 3 probably been about 10 years 
Yeah, I mean, it's been a while for me. I, I don't really remember watching it um, in the last, you know, last five, ten years. It's not something that I was drawn to again, and I can see why now. Um, watching all three of the films in, in sequence shows you the exponential drop-off rate of Scream. Um, but again, that's just about every horror franchise. It is every horror franchise, but I think that... And in slasher s- film. And- I think um, w- one of the key things to look at when you're watching the Scream series in, in order is uh, you have Scream that starts out pretty serious. It has a bit of comedy to it. It has some goofiness. Um, you know, thanks to Matthew Lillard, for the most part, a stew. <laughs> but it's pretty serious. And then you have Scream 2, which gets a little bit cheesier, adds mm-hmm. an, another layer of meta, because now we have the Stab series that's, uh, that's um, you know, part of the whole Scream franchise working in the background but it's again still fairly serious then you have scream 3 which basically just gets rid of its serious aspects altogether and it's campy almost the entire length of the film see i disagree with you on that it's i think this scream 3 is much is more serious than scream 2 scream 2 is as i said in our previous episode a fucking scooby-doo episode I find that Scream, Scream 3 is like that, though. Scream 3 is campy, but it's not as campy. I don't know. I feel like they were really playing it up in this one. I'm not sure. A lot of it does seem intentional. Um, but at the same time, some of it doesn't seem intentional. It just seems like, whoops. <laughs> you know, that was unintentionally campy, and we went with it. I think, I, And I think the, good, uh, the difference is, too, Scream 2, unintentionally campy. Scream 3, Intentionally campy. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. That for sure. Scream Two does have its its moments where, like we had mentioned in the previous episode, uh, you know, you have Ghostface kind of like prancing around in the background. Um, in this get, one, get, when he's like prancing about, you get a little, you know, a little, you know, a little, you know, a little piano and xylophone, you know, twinkles to like, yeah, like he's snooping around. In in this one, you do get Ghostface kind of in the background, but I feel like in some ways it's. Meant to be a little, even like more intentionally stupid and ridiculous in the background. It's not again, but it's not as bad as Scream Two. Scream Two, they literally like have scenes where he's like poking his head out, like winking, like, "Hey guys, I'm gonna get you." Well, some of my favorite moments in Scream Three though have that too, like with in the final encounter in the study, and Ghostface got flipped over a couch, and then all of a sudden, you know, Dewey bursts. Or they or um not Dewey, I'm sorry, the um Kincaid. The, yeah, Kincaid, the cop, bursts in and he just like kinda pokes his head up over the couch. Like a dog. You know, like the owner's home. Dog pokes his head up. Who's that? Who's that? Um but I mean I see that in both. I tend to find Scream Three as more of a ridiculous, campy affair that they're really playing up certain things. Like they're really playing up Dewey and um Dewey and Gail being like the primary element of this film and so inherently with dewey you have sort of a goofy uh ridiculous western-esque character that's um there's the love uh, the love affair the on again off again gale dewey romance the the i guess you would you could call it um would be a good moniker for uh gale and dewey together gooey the gooey <laughs> romance or uh you know, the 
yeah, a gooey, I would call it, <laughs> a gooey romance between Gale and Dewey. So you have those things that are at play here. And I think, like, it be- does become so goofy because you have Dewey on screen for so much of the time. You have them um, doing their own detective work here. And really, Nev Campbell as Sydney kind of disappears from the film for almost... 50%. 50%. Yeah, 50% of the film, she's really not in it. And the, you have the film kind of like checking in on her every now and then. Like, oh yeah, Sydney is like the main element of Scream, isn't she? She's just up in the mountains, you know. Dawson's Creek steam's playing, you know. And she's walk, walking her dog Cherokee around the premises. She's living an idyllic life up just, there in the just wilderness. Do, 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 do. You know what you're thinking? You're You're thinking, you know... What a great life. She uh, she has a dog. She lives in a nice place in the wilderness. Her dad brings her groceries. She's a California state uh, women's abuse. uh, Yeah. Yeah. How how great is that? She's taking her life of trauma. Yeah, she's taking her trauma. She's going to transplant it on other people. (laughs) Um, I have something my boyfriend tried to listen. Yeah. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about my boyfriend. All right. Yeah, he's a. I told him I just wanted a PG thirteen relationship, and this is what happened. He went off the rails. He got all. I do like that. the The place that um, Sydney's living in is so locationally uh, undefined in this film. Because we know that her dad comes to visit her. So we know it's not Woodboro. Woodsboro. 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 We know it's not there because Dewey was supposed to have been there and he's helping facilitate um, with a a movie. So we know she's not in Woodsboro. And we know that it can't be that far from where she was originally living because her dad, like, makes regular trips up with groceries. it's not that far from Hollywood. And it's not that far from Hollywood. So I like that it's just, like, locationally, like, there's no... Rhyme or reason to where it is. It's just it's just random mountains in California. You yeah, know, outside of L.A. You know, she's just living in like one. Were they in random mountains in uh, the first screen? Yeah, no. That's what I was gonna say. The first house, you know, like where... a farmhouse slash mountain slash right outside L.A. Yeah, he's like, oh, uh, middle hardworking middle class family. The Prescotts own this <laughs> palatial palatial estate on top of the mountains in you know California. Yes. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the opening sets up that, you know, she's obviously been kind of estranged from everybody in the Scream franchise. She's not been with Dewey. She hasn't seen Gail in a while. She's living out her own life by herself because Dewey told her it's important to stay off the grid. You know, this was, you know, she doesn't have an AOL name. She, (laughs) I just find it funny that like nobody like in like, uh, Detective agency or FBI I was like, okay, you've been the victim of two uh, serial killers. Uh, let's put you in witness protection. Yeah, and just no, get no, right you, out of there. You just got to do it yourself. You know, different name, yeah. different. Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe she didn't want to. Maybe she's she's that strong willed where she was like, no, I'm not joining Wittuck. Um, but I I do like that the setup itself is all about bringing each of these characters together again. Obviously, they kind of have distanced themselves since Scream 2, and then we we eventually get Gail visiting on set at Stab 3, which is well, she was at a co- filming. Well, she was at a college doing a 
a little you know seminar, seminar yeah. about how to be a cutthroat journalist. You know, have to, if you see something, doesn't matter what the ethics or morals are, you you go and do it. You gotta be cutthroat. You gotta get that story. You chase the ambulances. Yeah. You. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you go after anything. Sweet talk, the mustachioed policeman. <laughs> yeah. So um, everybody's sort of meeting up at this point, and they're they're all meeting up on the set of Stab 3, because Stab 3 is filming, and it had Cotton Weary in it as uh, sort of a guest star. Which as- is funny, because um, now he, he's parlayed all this into, you know, daytime Montel Mori talk show host. Yeah, he's uh he's sort of what is he like? He's basically like a constant guest star on daytime TV. No, no, he's got his own talk show. Or oh, does he have yeah, his own talk called show? Called Cotton. Cotton. You can see a billboard in the beginning too, like Cotton. And he's wearing his nice oh you know, overly baggy jacket and I do like that he's developed the dad joke of hundred percent cotton. <laughs> for for like using that. And yeah. he breaks it out right away on the uh on the phone call that he gets. Um I would say that that probably is not bringing in a lot of the ladies, but maybe it he took sooner. he took Donahue's spot. You know, you know Don, what? Donahue's getting up there in age, so you know, he's like, "Got that? Don't worry, I got that." You know what does work for uh, for Leave Schreiber? That is uh, the white suit jacket with the white cream tennis shoes with the cream colored <laughs> sweater, and they're all very baggy, all very it. pleated. I love it. I, lo- I love pointing out the fashion in the 90s films, but, you know, you I, I still would say- see, You can still see in the 2000s, like, the early 2000s, like, the stuff from the late 90s that's hanging on, like, that, every every chick in this film's wearing, like, leather, leopard print pants. The only oh. person in this film that, does, that looks out of place is Neve Campbell with her outfit, because it kind of... She's very, um, I would say, like, most of the time she's fairly modestly dressed. She does love the cut-off... Uh, shirt top yeah. shirts, um, but yeah, the one other thing that does stand out here is that they had like fifty different belly shirts on, on set <laughs> for like you know everybody. Parker Posey gets one. Um, well, that's part- that was in Jenny her contract. McCarthy gets one. That was in Parker's contract. She had to have seventy six different. And, cut what, off and whatever else those pants were in that one scene where she jumps into Patrick Warburton's arms. <laughs> like tribal print pants. Tight, le- yeah, like tight red leather. Whatever pattern it had. So weird. I do like. But she's got that, she's got that super late 90s like haircut too with the highlights and everything. Oof, I know yeah. she's supposed to look like Gail, you know, Courtney Cox in Scream 1, but it's, it's like so. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Um, I do like that turtlenecks were making a, a nice comeback in this 2000 movie. Um, cause Gail puts one on. What is the thing though about combining white on white? Cause that's pre- like, or gray on white. Cause that happens quite a bit in screen. Well, three. I just think like the Backstreet Boys video, like, yeah. you know, they're all wearing the white, you know, pants and, you know, wife beaters and, sh- you know, jackets Baggy. I can't remember which video that was, but that's, you know. Yeah, I gotcha. That was a a look for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One thing that struck me about as we're talking about the opening a little bit, the opening does have a nice throwback to Scream 2 where you get a a glimpse of a playbill from um, the the play that uh, Sydney was putting on in Scream 2. It's a nice little 
call back to that, I think. Um, it's a quick, quick shot, you know, blink and you'll miss it, but it's right at the beginning. Um, I don't even think, again, you cannot see the name of the play itself. Because <laughs> they were like, yeah, they're like, yeah, we don't know which one it was. But, yeah, yeah, we made one up for this. Some stuff. Greek thing. Yeah. But it, it's a nice callback right there at the beginning. If you look for that, um, happens like right when Sydney walks in the door. The first time at her at her home when she's with her dog Cherokee, her palatial estate. Yeah. Um, I did. Fi- I still find it weird though that like her father shows up and is like talking to her like you, you know, like you just shut yourself in, Sid. You gotta, you know, you gotta open up. And we don't see him again. Yeah, he doesn't we come we back. Did, no, we didn't see him in Scream. Suspect. We didn't see him in Scream 2, you know, right? Nope, yeah, just, that is kind of surprising, yeah. too, because I pointed out, you know, you said he, we didn't see him in Scream 2, but in Scream 2, you would think he would show up because he knows that his daughter's being targeted at college. Yeah. Right? He'd be like... It's national news, you the know. The first on a plane to go visit this hoity-toity liberal arts <laughs> school <laughs> to figure, to, you know, to, to protect his daughter. But yeah, we don't see him in that one. And then he does. He comes back for like two minutes, literally two minutes of the film to stock her up with Chips Ahoy and... Uh, See, that he would be like the... Per- like if they didn't go like the whole like uh, Sydney's got a secret half-brother like, oh, it's Mr. Prescott? Yeah, it's been me the whole time. My wife was a whore. Another you know? good one. Another you know? good choice. Why not? Yeah, that's a perfect example of, again, where we the film decides to go in a manner that doesn't really make sense logistically within the film because it just makes up things about Roman just says, yeah, I'm your half brother. Uh, I'm jealous of you, but I've never made an attempt to co- to reach out to you ever. And I set all of this in motion and it's just kind of like, leave it at that. You know, that's, that's, that's the uh, show, the tell and not show portion of writing the school of writing that you gotta, mm. you gotta expose. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you got to show it. You can't just Expo- say Exposition Roman dump was it. there the whole time and, and expect your audience to just accept it. But again, that happens a lot, though, in films. Yeah, it's a, you it know, does. A, a, it's a you know, trope, especially but... in like trilogies where they're you know retconning stuff. You know, like because it wasn't an idea that they originally had. Now they're like, oh yeah, we got this great idea, and like here's how they were actually behind the scenes the whole time. You know. Yeah, I mean, it, it does happen in trilogies. It, it's not a good. Writing, no, it's, no, it's not. But... It's not a good uh, storytelling device, but it is. You know, it is common. Yeah. Um. So, so let's talk about the whole beginning aspect about Stab Three because that is really, I feel like, where Scream the franchise gets a lot of its meta um, commentary. Co- yeah, the commentary that people tend to interpret as being part of the original Scream. First question, where's Stab 2? Yeah, Stab 2 going to get skipped here. It's sort of just, like the Thanks Killing 3. Just, boop, uh, you know. just skip right over it. Yeah, no one really mentions it. Um, obviously, you know, though they've probably been working on it because Lance Henriksen, playing mm-hmm. a um, stand-in for uh, Harvey Weinstein at this <laughs> point, um, though... You know that's sort of a, an unspoken thing in the in the film. They kind of they kind of hint around the fact that there's a casting couch, and you know Lance Henriksen's character uh, John mm-hmm. Milton, uh, who sounds like straight out of like a 1600s philosopher. You know, like uh, John Milton. John, writes, John Milton writes in the rights of man. Yeah, 
But uh, they kind of hint at that. It's kind of it's an ironic twist here. It's this this Miramax and this film has <laughs> was produced by the Weinstein's. But uh, well, the funny thing about that though is like looking back, like apparently everybody knew he was a scumbag. Oh yeah, I'm sure. You know, yeah. so like you know, you've heard like how like Gwyneth yeah, Paltrow was getting like hit like unpleasantly hit on at the time and like Brad Pitt like went up to him and like if you fucking talk I will beat your ass. Yeah, it's kind like, of a, yeah. It's it's definitely something that's in, in this film and you mentioned that when they bring up the fact of that uh Milton has sort of been sleeping with his his actresses on the side. They're really going more and they talk about the um how do they say it? The uh, the cri- criminals that have been prospering in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you said they were talking more about like Roman Polanski. It seems it, but uh, at the same time, even though he been... was, say even though he wasn't a director, I right. mean a producer, he was a director. But you know, at the same time, you got Roman, Ro- you know Roman. Yeah, you know, yeah. So yeah, that's true. Um, I I always more made that connection, but that was again before like two years ago when the whole Harvey Weinstein thing came yeah. about. Yeah, I mean there there is that So now is this now so now you're in kind of an uncanny valley now watch yeah. watching a film about a yeah, you're about, watching a film with, about them making a film with a producer who's just you know, a piece of shit. Yeah. Cuz he's like, look, it's the 70s. She knew what she was doing, you know, which you know, granted like if she's like, "Oh, if I want that part, I guess I got to do that," you know. Yes, it's using, but at the same time, it's like you can be like, do I really need to be in a an extra in a film that bad? Yeah, I mean, well, they go a little bit more in depth with it because uh, they do mention that uh, the one actress who was supposed to play Sydney, and I don't even know who that is really. But, um, uh, Angelina. Yeah, she uh, she had said she she had slept with him, yeah. and uh, you know she 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 wasn't ready to let go of Stab Three because she had to sleep with that pig. Yeah. So. Um, but it is interesting. I think Step 3 in this movie is pretty interesting as a meta commentary, except for the fact that they don't actually have people use their real names like they did in New Nightmare. Um, so, Which, this that's the biggest flaw, I think, in this film. One, because the idea has already been done in New Nightmare. Sure. So it's been done by the same exact person, Wes Green. <laughs> yeah. And two... The fact that they didn't go more the new nightmare route, used actual actors' names and stuff, because they already done it before in like Scream Two with like Luke Wilson playing, you know, yeah, and they even Billy yeah, and Tori Spelling and you know David Schwimmer. So for this, have it be Jenny McCarthy, yeah, you know, have it have it be Parker Posey, you know, yeah, and and Lance Henriksen, yeah, because I mean Lance Lance Henriksen is so well recognized in the horror element that but you couldn't have him be the the producer you then. couldn't have him be the producer right but but i mean I, I just think that they would have gotten a little bit more mileage out of going the route of having each of the characters or each of the actors who are playing characters from scream um be their own actor and actresses and then you get a little bit more of that meta aspect to it that new nightmare had but you're right cuz that's lot- some cuz that's something like parker posey could totally get into i could totally see her like prepping like okay i'm prepping to play myself as courtney cox as gail weathers as me as you know because like, <laughs> yeah, they i mean they go that route but the they could like to- the you know could totally you know do that because she's 
a freaking terrific actress and really great. Like, she's the standout out of all of them in this film. Yeah. Um, but, you know, same thing. Like, have, like, Patrick Warburton. Like, all right, you know, I'm just... Yeah. I'm just going to be Patrick Warburton. I would... Yeah, and especially, like, people like Jenny McCarthy, who is playing Jenny McCarthy. Yeah, she's basically playing Jenny McCarthy. You might as well just have her literally be Jenny McCarthy. Spreading anti-vax... I, I think that it works a little bit better in New Nightmare because you do have that layer of um, reality to it that does, you know, it helps add some tension to this film. Or to the, the film where, New Nightmare. You know, the actors and actresses can't, you know, separate the film from yeah. what they're doing. Yeah, I, I just, I feel like that was an, an aspect that they kind of missed out on in Scream 3. But you're right, too, that this film is basically like, Wes Craven said to um, to the screenwriter um, Aaron Kruger, take what I did in New Nightmare, watch New Nightmare, and then write me another script, but have it be with Ghostface in this one. And and that was what they did with it. And I, I mean, it works in some ways, but at the same time, a lot of things that happen in Scream Three feel way too distanced from the original and. It seems like they're really working off the gimmick of the meta rather than having it be an actual it's, they're, element. They're half the pregnant with it. Yeah. Like, they want to have, like, this whole, like, oh, it's a film within a film, but they don't go the distance on it, you know? Yeah, because... Where they, like, could have, like, the actual actors playing, you know, the part, playing those roles like they did in New Nightmare and kind of making it feel more reality-based. Here, this is where, like, they have the idea, but then they go, like, the campy horror, slasher film route of like oh no it's like a, what's going on you know let's what all these shenanigans going on in the film set the other thing that um is sort of weird is that the film starts out saying the killer has read the script for stab three he's going in order of who dies in stab three which is a cool idea it's a cool idea and then it completely drops off bye gone well i think because part of the problem is to say well, once they figure out the pat what the pattern is to the kills, they're like, wait, there's like three different scripts out there. So we don't know who's the next person to get killed is. Yeah. That's a great idea. Because films go through several fucking rewrites, you know, so they had the idea that there's several different scripts floating about. I think it would have been a good whodunit because then you'd be like, well, yeah. wait, who had yeah. access to, to this, this script but specifically? They just dropped them after yeah. that. After they reveal Com- that, that that part about the script and all that, you know, completely gone, gone. Yeah. And that's a great idea. You know, I think I I will give this film credit. It has some good again. It has some good ideas. Like I said, the whole it taking place with people who are making you know Stab Three, which is tied to the wood, you know, tied to the Woodsboro murders, you know. And the fact that Stab 3 is called Return to Woodsboro because it's supposed to be the final film in the trilogy, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, so metaphorically you're going back Literally to Literally returning. Without actually going back to Woodsboro. So it's a great, like, they have great ideas, but they just drop them. Yeah. Like, they go, like, they, like they're like ADD ch- children. They have, like, an idea, they run with it for, like, a little bit, and then drop it and go to something different. Yeah. You know. It, it happens, like, pretty much throughout the whole film. And I'll say the the biggest, I said it already, but the biggest example of that is having Sydney, but barely having her in the film. And she becomes sort of a secondary character, even though this is about her. I, th- I But I think the point of that is, though, is because it's supposed to give you the illusion, like, as Randy states when he, in that little fucking video... <laughs> Which don't you love the retconning of oh 
Oh, who's this? How this, can we get this is, Jamie Kennedy back in this film? Well, all I can think of is his sister. Like, like, who the hell is this? Like, And Dewey's like, oh, this is Randy's sister. Yeah, it looks just like her, right? It looks just like him, right? No, <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> but yeah, the idea... <laughs> well, it's just, just like the... Special guest star. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when he's giving his whole trilogy spiel, um, he mentions, you know, that uh, anybody can die in a trilogy. Everyone's up for great game. So I think the whole point that Sydney's not, like, the focus and we still have... It's more focused on Dewey and Gale is to kind of give you the illusion of, like, she she could die. Because mm. not, they're not really focusing on her. Yeah, I don't think it really works that well. I'm not saying yeah. it works well. Because I think Nev Campbell has, her and Dewey have been like the best characters going throughout the film series so far. I just, you know, I think that's what they were going for. They're like, oh, we'll keep her distant that way. You know, at the end, like, maybe she will die, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can. I Because can they've, s- done, they've done that, in, you know, previous horror films, like in Friday the 13th Part 2, you know, kill, kill her off, you know, yeah. and. Several times they've killed Jamie Lee Curtis off. Yeah, I, I can see it. I I think that one of the problems that really plagues Scream Three throughout is that it does not have a lot of tension going for it. Um, well, when every second has a fucking jump scare mm-hmm. or a jump scare music sting, yeah, which is often this game. This movie could have a a drinking game with it where it's just jump scares and jump scare music stings. Yeah, it's a, it's um that's one of the issues that shows that a horror film really isn't working on all levels because if you got to cram in like 17 jump scares in 30 minutes, you're probably not really telling an effective story. You know, and I think that's partially the storyline itself. One thing I think that really takes away from Scream 3 in its suspense is that the killer can now clone people's voices, like literally the exact voice of the person that he's trying to clone. And I think part of that issue is that when they're calling and you get the real voice of the killer, it's pretty menacing. The The guy who plays the killer's voice throughout, um, what's his name? I forget now. See, that's a problem. Like as Ghostface, him playing the voice doesn't even get noticed. Roger Jackson. Um, Roger Jackson's voice is actually really menacing. I love I, I love lo- the the levels of it too because it fluctuates. I love when he says "die." Yes, he's exactly. Like, die. You yeah, because he's die. got that little inflection yeah. going on um, that makes it more menacing than if you hear hear him talking to people and then pl- like literally playing Dewey's voice or uh, playing I guess Cotton's voice. Yeah, Cotton's voice. It, those things don't really instill suspense. I guess you know it, it's a meant to work in the same level as you never know who to trust and who's talking to you, um, sort of like a thing type paranoia. But it really doesn't work really well in Scream Three. Well, part of the problem is too this movie has literally no one to like point fingers at who done it. Right. There's no um, where the first two films the problem was like the pointing was so yeah arbitrary it was already, and. It was, it was, and uh, Already pointing, yeah, like, right away. Yeah, here there's like no pointing. Yeah, there's no fingers pointed at Roman. There's no, no fingers pointed at I mean, any only initially at anybody. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that, that, it's so you just end up like, huh? Ain't that yeah. so, you know? And, and like we said, there there are some major areas where they could have improved on who they had as a killer that would have made more sense. That could have been expanded on in Scream Three. That that the the uh, ideas are already there, but 
they just didn't run with those ideas. Whereas Roman is probably like the last pick for a person to suspect, not because the film did a great job of hiding it, but because the film hides Roman so much that you're not even thinking about him as a character. He literally is not a a, a full-fleshed character, and only until the last 20, 25 very long minutes of this <laughs> two-hour-long running time film of constant encounters with Ghostface do we get that information about, yep, Roman was, you know, he had a secret family with Maureen, and he was ostracized for Maureen and she didn't accept him and wouldn't you think like because by the time he finds Maureen he's like I'm your son he's like 24 years old but you think she's like get out yeah. I don't want to see you he'd be well, like oh okay yeah definitely has some attachment issues that's for sure I would like to know like what was his like life with his other family like then was he like a foster you know, he doesn't say he's a foster child or anything was he just uh Again, those are issues that we get where we don't really have much information about Roman. Is so. John Milton his father? Yeah, is Yeah, who you know, knows? You know, who did Maureen sleep with at what if Roman Well made as well as he thing? Well, let's say as he said, uh bang she got fucked three ways to Sunday and you know, that little study room seventies <laughs> orgy party. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean what I mean the other thing could be like Roman could have made that whole thing up. Could have been just obsessed with Sydney. No, he's. They showed the. No, I know, but I'm just saying. Like, there are many ways for with them the story. to have taken this story. They that... could have been just someone who's obsessed with the story, kind of like. Yeah. You know. They could. They could have taken it in many ways, but to have him literally in sort of a Star Wars, which they mentioned as a trilogy, as literally a Star Wars, like I'm family to you. Mm. It, it's a little much, I think. Should have been Carrie Fisher. Yeah, because after that ca- that cameo, I her- forgot even that Carrie Fisher was in here, and that they mentioned Star Wars as a trilogy and Carrie Fisher, and then you have the final, you know, no, I'm not, I am your father, but I am family to you, and it's a lot like Star Wars in that sense that they're really working off of that as a, you know, mechanic for the film. I don't know. Um... I I just found it funny too because Carrie Fisher always used to joke that you know she's like I you know slept with George Lucas to get that role to be Carrie Fisher you know I mean to be Princess Leia and she's in here you know was like the old bitter lady sitting in, <laughs> sitting in the archives with the photos like yeah <laughs> yeah um so one thing that we didn't talk about that I'm surprised we haven't touched on yet is Courtney Cox's hair. Uh, one of the biggest travesties of 2000. You know when she you, we first get to see her and she's talking. I just want like want like when she looks like at to the crowd like yes and like smiles and just like I just want to pause it and like start playing the curb theme like boom boom boom. You know just because it's, it's like pretty awful. It's, so it's bad. The the story behind Courtney Cox's hair is that at the time apparently David Arcot had suggested that Courtney Cox have a Betty Page haircut. But mm. the, the hair doesn't really look like Betty Page haircut. I mean, she's got the like the moderate bangs, but the bangs themselves are just really... <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, they've just been just hacked at and destroyed. And so you end up like a lot of scenes that are really strange. Um, you get a lot of moments where Courtney Cox's bangs are like just 
completely jagged all over the place in each scene because I feel like they could not keep them, um, they could not keep the the banks controlled. So they ended up just being like sometimes there's spaces between the banks, sometimes there's not, sometimes you know they're uneven, sometimes they are sort of even. Uh, and the weird thing is, is that apparently this was a wig. This is not. This is her real hair. She used a wig. A wig. So, I hope to God so. Because so, it's like, but why? Why would the wig be this bad? Honestly, that's probably why she got kicked off of sixty minutes too. Not because of yeah. you know. They're like, what the fuck? Other things. Other things. They sh- they showed up. She showed up. You know, to do sixty minutes too, and they're like, no. Yeah. No. No one's gonna take you. No. <laughs> None of that hair. Yeah, so the hair is really bad. Apparently, there. I mean, there's some some um, explanation for it. It's not a good explanation. I don't know. You know, even if they got the wig, no one, literally, no one. West Craven wasn't thinking. Courtney, that looks awful. I'm sure it had to be a wig because she didn't have that hair at Friends. So, right? Yeah, it had to know. have been like. Yeah, but she's making that Friends money. You know, but I just, <laughs> I still, I don't know how. You know, literally fifty different people on production. Thought that was looking at the wig and like, okay, yeah, like maybe they thought it'd be funny to rip her, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Maybe Here's, you know, we're give it, really it does go down wig. in history as one of some some of the worst hair on film. Although I've seen quite a few, single white female is another good example of why the fuck did we ever think that hair looked good <laughs> with the bowl cut style red hair? <laughs> but yeah, it became a trend after a single white female. How about? We uh, Michael and I just watched this film not too long ago. It just released. When a stranger calls back, terrible, terrible hair uh, that looks like a giant mullet. So it's not the worst hair that I've ever seen on you know in a film, but it's pretty bad, and it definitely stands out throughout because Courtney Cox gets a somewhat leading role in this movie. I mean, bigger than Sydney. Thank God by scream for her hair is you know. It goes back to... Back in order, you know. She felt like... That's like the best part about the Scream franchise. Courtney Cox by Scream 4 finally has halfway decent hair. Yeah. <laughs> and you get a more normal ensemble as well mm. for, for most of the cast. You know, more modern ensemble from them. Um, What are you talking about? Jenny McCarthy is like the opinion. No, 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 not not in the cast sense, but a wardrobe sense. Oh, yeah. Okay. As I say, what are you talking about? Jenny McCarthy's the peak of modern two thousands era. What does she do now? She's just on Dick Clark's Rockin' Rockin' Eve, yeah, and that's it. Spreading her anti-vax bullshit. how How did she ever become famous? Mark Wahlberg. No, I don't know. But before that, I I don't know. Because she was a big deal, like you know, kind of like Jim oh, Carrey, you know, in the '90s, like oh Jenny McCarthy. But yeah. Now after watching, you know, when you watch Scream Three, she's like, big oh. old boobies. You're just like that's low rent, very low rent. Uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar, huh? Not Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um. So, all right. So another thing that we didn't talk about. How about the kills in this movie? Because, um. There are quite a few murders in this movie, but I, they amp it up this time. Yeah, they they do increase the body count because you have so many more characters because you've got all of the characters from Stab Three, along with your primary cast. And as Randy said, don't be surprised if some of your primary cast dies. 
Except they don't really. Again, <laughs> in this movie. Again, cube, cube the curb theme. Bump. Yeah. And when the end rolls and everyone's still intact, just bump, bump. Everybody's bump. having a nice popcorn and movie night. I know. Sydney's dating Kincaid now, you know. Mm-hmm. American Hugh Grant. Yeah, no, they're good. The best, the best. I mean, they're not good. They're, you know, just. Ah, you know, all like really, they're all literally like just, pretty much stabbing, just stabbing just, the back. Everyone gets stabbed in the back. But this film has one of the best kills in all scream, and that's the house exploding. Yes, yes. Like one. I said, they Jeff Daniels this one. <laughs> the, first off, I'll show him the whole idea of like they're they're faxing a yeah. new script. Yeah. And they're reading it off, and they're like, ha- like Parker Posey and Angela and the other guy that plays like handsome Dewey, and they're like all like trying to fight to get back into the house because they're like, oh, the script says I'll show mercy to the one in the house, the one in the house, and then handsome Dewey's the one that gets in, and they're standing on like the, pa- the patio, fifty feet away. Clearly screaming like, "What's it say?" And the guy's reading the 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 facts, and there's no light, so he can't see. And he grabs a lot a fucking Zippo, pops that bad boy, starts reading the script, and he says, "I'll show mercy to the one who smells gas." And then he screams, and the house fucking goes up. It is, it's a <laughs> it's, hilarious. It's moment. hilarious because yeah. one. How did no one smell the gas? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Two, do you know how much gas would have to be poured on that house to make an explosion? Like, or yeah. what is it like? Or three, or is like the house like hooked up to like a propane line? Like it had a propane heat source or something, and they're leaking gas. Yeah, that's like, one thing they don't show you about. They don't know. So I was, doing. I was always like, when they say the gas, like smell the gas, because if it's like propane, like you're not really gonna smell as much. It's not gonna smell as strong as like straight gasoline. Yeah. But I always had an image in my head as like a kid, it's like fucking ghost face running around Parker Posey's <laughs> house, dousing the whole. He's got like a bunch of fucking gas, gas cans, cans with yeah. him just. Jerry can just like running around dumping well, it, you know. And well, I like to imagine what Ghostface is doing in the background, furiously <laughs> faxing things. Like, oh shit, shit, I gotta send this out yeah, real quick yeah. for it well, to go in order. Yeah, also because he's <laughs> Ghostface is at that house. Yeah, he's, he's at how the other fax so, machine. So where is he? <laughs> how is he faxing to that fax machine? Because there's is he at someone else's house like next door? Like. Argh! Yeah, he said the new script. Seriously, put it typing in. Roman, Roman sitting there, you know. I mean, yeah. if it was like a beeper, that'd make more sense. You could just, you know, call, yeah. leave. I, I do like the whole fax machine element because it's... that really dates the film a little bit. Like, somebody has a fax machine in their house that somehow Ghostface has gotten the number two to fax to it. It's. It, I, I, it's no, really this, film, funny. this film dates itself because it's got car phones. Yeah. Beepers. Beepers. Faxes. Creednet.com. Yeah. A poster for Creed, Creed. that says Creednet.com. We checked it. It's uh, not an active URL anymore, unfortunately. We ha- we're going to have to buy that. Yeah. We're going to have to. Net. You know what? We should and just redirect it to <laughs> Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm sure we'd get a lot of like, hits hey, that. Like, you know, I like, kind of like. Uh, it's just funny because that does sound like something that would happen in like the late, uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Like. We're finally getting our own website, yeah. 
Creednet.com, you know. You have to wonder like, what Creed.com Creed. was taken already. Probably by some, like, televangelist yeah, yeah. or something. Creed. <laughs> um, yeah. That, but, I mean, that, that whole scene is just fucking hilarious. Well, the other thing that I like about it is that when um, it shows him blowing up, it shows him blowing into smithereens. Yeah. And, like, that's and, not like, really... he, like, he imploded. Yeah, he, you know, like, yeah <laughs> like, like the bomb was inside <laughs> him the whole time. That's not really how you, you you blow up in a in an explosion like that, but no, it's it's a really funny scene, and it it does it reminds it's really me of a lot bad, of speed, and it's a really bad CGI. Oh yeah, yeah. And the terrible. blast knocks these fuckers down the mountain, like tumbling down, like a couple of kids, you know, twirling down a hill. That's got to be the best kill in this film. It's the most um the most creative, I guess I would say. Uh, the most convoluted of the... A wa- it's a wasted opportunity. Yeah. I think the whole idea of them, like... Because, like, again, the idea... Like, idea of, like, oh, there's three scripts out there, so who's gonna die? Because Parker Posey, once they introduce that idea, is flipping shit because yeah, Gail's gonna... she's convinced yeah. that it's her. Yeah, she's gonna die because Gail dies next in the film. So, they do, like, oh, no, the scripts be, you know... I guess they don't drop the idea. I'd say they drop the idea, but I guess technically they don't because Roman's constantly like, I'm changing the script. I guess, you know? yeah. I mean... But again, that's stupid because we don't know what the rest of the script was supposed to be. You know, who was yeah. supposed to die, you know? Yeah, because it doesn't follow any of the... any yeah. Like, it's step three. It's not step yeah. two. So we don't have that to go off of, like, what happened in step two, so... Yeah. Or what's supposed to happen in step three, you know? Is Sydney supposed to die... You know, is it is it supposed? Because you get to you hear at the end Parker Posey when she's getting killed, like I'm. I know you can't kill me. I'm the killer. I'm the killer. It's Gail all along. Yeah. So is that true? Is that what was supposed to be in the script? Was it supposed to be Gail that was doing it the whole time, or is she just bullshitting so she can, you know, not get thrown through the the, the mirror. rape mirror? Yeah. Um, one other uh, aspect that they do come back to from the original... I was going to say, which, by the way, that's also an unsettling, too, going back to, like, the whole, like, Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Thing. Like, a this mirror. whole rape dungeon, and it's got, like, a two-way mirror. Like, he's like, hey, guys, like, check out what's two-way going on. Yeah. back back yeah. bookshelf that swings around into a different type of uh, living area. Yeah, it's pretty creepy. <laughs> Fucking Dewey, too, just like... When Parker's like banging on the freaking mirrors, and the dude's like, "Hey, kill the mirrors are moving." Yeah. <laughs> Just... Um, another kill that I think is a nice harkening back to Scream Two is when Tyson gets thrown off the balcony because it's sort of like, "Hey, remember when Sarah Michelle Geller got yeeted off the balcony?" <laughs> well, Tyson will too. <laughs> I forgot you yeah. called it said yeet. Yeah, it this makes it. It makes me. It but. makes me more think of H two O, because like that whole mansion at the end, yeah. like looks like the whole element of that. You've got like mm-hmm. your token black guy, like you know, you've got all yeah. of the scenarios from H two O that are kind of now placed into Scream Three. You could kind of see where um, the two thousands started to like lose Real, itself, really blend yeah. into. They're like. They're all the same film. Yep. You you mentioned House on Haunted Hill as well, because the 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 film the film's house itself and the the whole element of having all of these characters together in one house where you've got one the you know, haunting. Yeah, they're all very very similar in how they look 
and Operate. 13 Ghosts be another one. All these 2000 films at this time. Resurrection would be another one. They're starting to like just all blend together, use the Williamson formula. And, you know, I don't know. It, it In this one, you can kind of see where Scream has gone off the rails a little bit. And they're they're starting. Now they're not innovators. They're more. It's, it's more of a, you know, we got to finish this thing. How do we finish it? It's kind of more... Well, again, I and I think, again, that's, I think, a problem that all horror films kind of have. Like, one, especially ones that are, like, start off as innovative and creative. They, by the third film, they just somehow go off the rails. Whether it be due to, they just, like, like the people who are working on it, if they've been the same people going, like, fuck it, I just want, I don't want any part of this anymore, I just want to get it done and over with. Whether it's, like, s- new people coming on and being like, no, we're not fucking doing that anymore. We're going to do, you know, mm-hmm. buy a numbers or if it's the studio or whatever the hell. It always just by, like, by, like, when you have, like, sequels. That's why I think, like I said, uh, constantly throughout this, po- you know, throughout this series is if you did this franchise, like, once every ten years, you could have really interesting ideas for each and every one because it would be, like, new takes on the horror genre and the slash genre. But at this time, they're pumping out a film every two years, so you know. Yeah, got a tight schedule. Gotta, you know, got to hit that window. Yeah, I think most of the other kills are really just stabbings. They really don't have much going on with them. Um, I do, I do like the um, when we when you do get to the end and it's the whole final boss showdown between. I do like Sydney and Roman's kind of final tussle of you know cuffs. Like sort of fucking thing. Monday Night Raw yeah. fighting and smashing I, chairs. And... I think that the ending is way too long. Just like in Scream 2, it has sort of like a really extended finale of like, we need to explain this and this and this and this. Uh, Scream 3 like takes it even further. It, it, Last 35 minutes. Or, yeah. You know. it's, it's way too long in that whole process of it, trying to explain everything and trying to explain why Roman did what he did and all that stuff. It's way too long. Um, with that said, I think that the fisticuffs part of it with um, Roman and uh, Sydney fighting it out is it's fun because Roman has a tendency to like if he can't stab someone, he's just gonna punch him right in the face. Then that, that's like extended throughout the entire film. There's one part where Dewey's sort of in the way trying to stop Ghostface from coming yeah. through, and he just like plows right through and him you, with a nice. And you get that nice comic prat like. You know, yeah. noise, you know, yeah, sound effects. I do like that about Roman is like, when you can't stab, just use your fists. You know, just start punching people. But he's also a fucking idiot because he shoots Sydney and then, he, you know, yeah. goes to finish her off. Doesn't shoot her in the fucking head. No, shoots her like four inches below the neck so it still hits the Honestly, bulletproof vest. That, By the way, y'all knew she was wearing because in that scene when he, she's talking to Roman on the phone about, you know, come to the house alone... She, that you get a five second cut of her looking at a bulletproof vest and it's like I wonder what she's going to do with that you know the other thing about that scene though with the, him shooting her is when he shoots her the angle of it really looks like he shot her in the neck yeah it looks like, like he it shot does her not in the, look like, like there's even any room for her to be shot in the chest instead no it looks like she got shot in the throat yeah yeah but, so you're like well you're not coming back from that but this film doesn't use any blood no that is true. It really doesn't. There's, There's like no blood. Outside, outside of some scars and stuff, when it comes to any of the kills, no blood. Yep. Really cut down on that. I think even like Tyson laying outside, 
thrown from the balcony. Well, I know, I, I know they were no... worried about the. They wanted to tone the violence down because of Columbine. Yeah, and they even kind of say that in when they're talking about Stab Three and the mm-hmm. violence on screen impacting the killer himself. Mm-hmm. You know, the the ghost face killer that's doing these murders, and they talk about violence mm-hmm. on screen uh, and toning it down. So. I think that kind of transferred into the film itself and cutting out some of the blood, even like the stabbings, you don't really get blood. Um, even if you remember like, uh, they're all, they're all like from behind or from a side where you wouldn't be able to see any blood. Yeah. All you'd like, if you do see blood, it's like the afterlife with Tyson, you see the blood, like after the fact he's been right on, you know, right off the balcony. And really the only one that you get for the most part is, um, Roman himself. Who's sort of bleeding internally, and so you get a little shot of him bleeding. But other than that, yeah, there's not that much. Uh, Patrick Warburton after he's, you know, oh yeah, like a little, his, a little so bit like, of that as well. well. It's, all, it's just like cuts and stuff because he got stabbed in the back, so yeah. it's just you know. One thing I'll say about the um, the makeup effects is that they don't do the cuts very well. Um, a lot of them look very cheap. Um, one in particular is when you see after the events of um, Ghostface and that explosion. Um, Courtney. Courtney Cox has a, a scratch on her cheek, and it's really, it, it looks very fake in certain lights because of the way that it's like sort of blown up and and stuck on her face, like just like a piece of plastic yeah, or like latex what? just stuck yeah. on her face. Um, I would say that the the makeup effects are not very good in this movie. Um, yeah, and it, it does show that sometimes you don't get any of those blood effects, and uh, again, that sort of. It works for the film in a way because then it they, they can get away with not sh- with saying like oh Sydney might be dead you know we, we don't show blood so she might be dead mm. but then you know obviously she comes back so but yeah the the whole convenience of having uh, many many um, vests bulletproof vests for people really it <laughs> shines in this movie because it happens like three times right. Because you have um, Roman the first time as Ghostface getting shot by Dewey, doesn't not dropped um, because he rolls under the car and randomly leaves a photograph yeah. while he rolls under the I car. I know that's uh, just managed to ta- like, pull had, it out of his. I know. Had the time thing. when he's you know rolling under the Ford Explorer to be like, oh yeah, here's my little like calling card. You know. Yeah. And then you have Roman later on who takes bullets when Dewey's shooting at him again. And then he is knocked down and he gets back up. And then you have Sydney take bullets in a bulletproof vest. And at the end, you have Dewey blasting away at a, at him in a bulletproof vest. And he's not dying. He's he, just kind of yelling into the air. Like, ah! got Sydney going, the head, the head. And he's like, like uh-huh. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, so bulletproof vests, they really like show their worth in this movie. Um, even though we know they don't really work that way. Like one bullet to the chest from that distance would be like, fuck, I can't breathe. I think I broke my rib. Uh, so seven, (laughs) probably not going to get up from that. I like though too, like when Dewey's shooting him at the, um, Roman at the end, he's like in a nice, like police stance, like properly, you know, proper form shooting at him. But then when Nev Campbell's the head, he like gets kind of like gun cocked a little sideways, you know, yeah. one handed, right? You know, like badass. I really like one the one gun that Nev brings. It's like super small, fits in the palm of her hand. Yeah, it's a cute one. She has to throw it away, but it's a nice gun all the same. 
Um, that was a nice touch too when she's doing because yeah. the metal because like, uh, Roman puts the metal detector for like Juan to make her, you know, uh, do a little TSA you know search on herself and she doubles up on the one leg. So when she throws the gun away, Roman doesn't know she's still got another gun on her because it's on the same leg. Yep, that is smart. It's a it's a good one. It's it's uh smart in a film that not that smart throughout most of it. So it's a good touch. Uh, yeah, yes, well, because you also too like the one, the only way you're gonna find think that um know that Roman's the killer before you get to the big exposit dump is when you see him in the coffin, air quotes dead. Yeah, and but we didn't see his death on screen. Yeah, that's literally the only thing that's there to be like, well, he's right, because that's really the only death that you don't really see on screen. Yeah, you see them all. Yeah, they're all on screen. Yeah, everything. Um, but again, speaking of like not a smart film, because they're like, oh my god, is he dead? I think he's dead. Oh, they run off. Like, you didn't smell that was corn syrup. Yeah, you know, if it was blood. You Especially know. for some of them that work on state on like a horror film. Yeah, you'd expect them to sort of not only that. Blood has a very distinctive smell, very irony. You know, yeah. you can smell the metal. Corn syrup, not so much. You know, a lot more uh, sweet. <laughs> Diabetic smelling. <laughs> but I, it's just... It's always something that's always been like, been like a... Even like as a kid, i like, that's fucking stupid. Yeah. Um, we didn't talk about the uh, the score at all in this one. Um, so the score sort of reuses <laughs> some of Scream's themes. Unfortunately. Yeah. Doesn't use the Dewey and Gale love theme. No, it changes Scream, it up a little from bit. From Scream 2. It does have some of the Western elements of it, like dun, 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 when Dewey's on. But, uh, yeah, it changes it up a bit. Um, yeah, it changes it up a bit by going to fucking Creed. Yeah, a lot of the, yeah, the, a lot of the film score is now based on, like, songs. Actual late 90s early 2000s songs it's a who's as i was reading off the soundtrack to you it's a who's who of early 2000s alt rock of like alt metal stained yep system of a down creed static x oh power man 5000 power man 5000 not all of those make it into the film itself but enough of them do um there is also that one uh really twangy uh sp- almost spoken word uh dorsey song yeah that's yeah been, dorsey like, song that's it's been all the films like, yeah, it's a weird touch i don't know if is that like i know D- david arquette has a band and i know that the band has a song in scream 3 i don't know if it is his band that's doing it uh no i don't think so because no. then he would have been doing it since scream 1 yeah, I don't know, but whatever it is, that's just, that's that song just, that, is weird. That's just the scream staple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is really Dorsey. They use it twice, so it's it's in the. Uh, I think it's in like the first fifteen minutes, and then the end credits. Um, really odd choice, I guess. I don't know. I don't know why Wes Craven thought that was like. The best pick to have in, in the film itself. I don't know if he got a choice on that. Just, uh, some of the music picks are very strange um, to have in the film as like suspenseful moments. Uh, I don't know if they work that well. Um, what else did we talk about? What do you think of the overall cast? The overall cast, I think, I mean, basically, you have your 
Not including... Not including, uh, like, Nev Campbell and... Because the... David Arquette. No. They're all the same. Yeah. I, I mean, they're, they're basically... Uh, one thing we did mention, though, David Arquette does sort of have his limp here. Um, although they never really show Dewey walking that much. Like, uh, specifically, no, they he's seem only... to, like, not have him walking. Like, every scene he's it's in... It's like, like they couldn't decide whether or not yeah. he, he keeps the game from Scream 2 or if when they tacked on at the end of Scream 2, that whole... Oh, it seems like he cut through some old scar tissue. Like, maybe he got, yeah. I got him, you know. Yeah, most of the scenes are, like, him shoulder height, and you don't really see, like, any of his walking. You, you do see it once, I think, where he has a sort of a limp. But also, you never really see the gimpy hand, either. Like, the arm. No, you don't. That does not come up at all. I don't recall that he even has anything like that. No. You know, because he does, you still see his hand movements, and I don't see that in this one, so... I guess we're meant to think that he did, you know, he's been recover. Re- he's been in rehab for a while, you yeah. know. He recovered from his, his hand injury. Um, so the the rest of the cast, um, you know, I think you're right. Parker Posey really steals a show here because she does ham it up. Like, she she realizes that this is a hammy character. She really goes for it. Um, I think some of her best scenes occur because she's just super... Mm-hmm. Explicit and you know the I just slowly yeah, I know just like you know what this is this is a cigarette I haven't had one of these in a year and six months and now look at me and she like hops yeah. in the arms of Patrick Warburg she's great I love the, I, I love when I, they're receiving the facts and she's like I need to know what it says I need to know what it says I'm gonna be because I play you Gail I'm gonna be around you Gail because I'm supposed to die next Gail so instead of me dying it'll be you time isn't that right Gail yeah. yeah, I would say that she's probably like the best. In she's this always great. I, she's she's always great in everything she does. Terrific actress. Love. It. Can't say enough great things about Parker. Post. <laughs> Let's see who else we get. Um, you know Scott Foley as Roman. I think he's low rent Ryan Fleet. Yeah, he I, is, I, yeah. That totally looks like he's supposed to like be him and kind of act like him. Like I, all I could think of is like, especially with like him he, like, like having glasses and then taking the glasses off, like losing the glasses yeah. and it's yeah. like it's like like yeah, you're supposed to be him in Cruel Intentions, aren't you? Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, I think he's he's fairly good. No, he's not bad. I think he's good, but it's just like the way he look like looks and like kind of portrays his character. You know, Roman. I like all I can think of is like oh, you're supposed to be Ryan Philippe. You're not. <laughs> they couldn't get him. Yeah, he's busy. I do like Patrick Dempsey, although I feel like he is... Low rent Hugh Grant? Yeah, but they're really playing him up, too, as being, like, sort of the... Oh, noir cop. Yeah, he's the dark noir cop. He's, he's, he's Cole stuff. Phelps. Yeah. He's, he, you know, because he talks about... You're not the only one that has ghosts, that sees ghosts, and you can't shoot ghosts, you can't arrest ghosts. It's meant to be philosophical, same, you know, but... Same, got that, you know, same film running over in your head over and over again. You can't tell. Also, that. completely useless... In yeah. this movie, uh, as a detective, and they, they, and they try making him too kind of be like a fault, like a red herring because you know they're con- yeah. constantly like, I don't know where how'd you get here, Kincaid? And he's like, I'm the cop. <laughs> I'm the good yeah. guy. You're in my office. I'm a cop. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't mind him in this. Uh, I think he's he's fine. Um, I just think that like it's kind of funny. It's comical how little he actually gets to do as a detective. In this movie. Yeah, he doesn't do a lot of detectiving. It's mainly Gale and Dewey, you yeah. know. Doing their Scooby-Doo thing. Yeah. <laughs> Fred and Bill. Um, uh, Fred, no, Fred and uh, Daphne. You know? Yeah, Daphne. Yeah. Um, Patrick Warburton, 
also great. <laughs> Playing Patrick Warburton. Yeah, really doesn't have to do a whole lot. I mean, he's got one of the best lines calling Dewey Dewdrop. Hey, Dewdrop. Hey, Dewdrop. Yeah. Wherein, also, just like Leif Schreiber, baggy as all hell suit, you know. Yeah. Looks like he just came off of, like, a MC Hammer video. It's great. And he's got, like, the most, like, typical, like, late 90s, like, asshole sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, he does, yeah. Uh, Jay and Silent Bob show up. Great cameo. Yep. Yeah. Um, cold, cold. Uh, uh, Jay calls Courtney Cox, Courtney Chung. <laughs> yeah, Connie Chung. Connie yeah. Chung. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... That's a good cameo from them. Um, other than that, no one else really stands out too much. Um, we didn't really talk about this, but one really, really weird and I think poor aspect of Scream 3 is that there's a lot of reference to Maureen uh, because now this, or I'm sorry, Sydney has been hallucinating or seeing Maureen exor- as, a, as a ghostly The presence. fucking exorcist. Yeah. I don't like that at all as a part of like this the film. Like the whole, like, supernatural. Yeah, no, I, I don't it like comes, it. Because it comes off with more supernatural than dream, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, it does. And I don't like that it's it's here because, like, again, it comes out of nowhere. There's been, no me- like, no supernatural mentions of anything throughout the rest of the series. And now, all of a sudden, she's seeing ghostly things. And, um, you know, her mom in a body bag is popping up, just like in A Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, the whole scene where... She's uh, being dragged through the hallway by yeah. Freddy Krueger. Um, I don't like that whole element to it. I think they really could have left that out. Um, but I guess see, that's where at the end when they have like the door, her door, like she's like, "I'm not gonna lock it because I feel safe now." Yeah. Now that every all the loose ends are tied up, and she doesn't lock the door, but then it breezes open. It's her mom. No, I was saying Freddy. That's where oh, Fre- it's Freddy coming. It's all, in. all been a fucking dream, yeah. you know. And that, yeah, and then they're gonna watch. New Nightmare. That's what they're watching at the end. Because they don't tell you what movie she's, they're watching. Next like, film. You're going to have to come and see. Next film. Freddy versus Nev. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't I don't love the Maureen supernatural ghost aspect of, of the movie. But Lynn McRae's sufficiently creepy, I guess. Showing up at the window, I think, is probably mm-hmm. one of the better scenes. You know, she pops up into the window mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it's sort, sort of like a dead woman who crawled her way out of yeah. the grave. Uh, with their bloody fingernails before the ring, yeah. Seven yeah. days. So I, I, I think that's you know she does a pretty good job, even though I don't like the whole element of that. Um, and then you know you have the rest of the cast that they're pretty much fodder. Um, I think like the guy who plays Tyson, um, Dion Richmond. D- yeah, Dion. Yep. Uh, I think he's. He's good because he's likable, and as you said... He's, he's really the only, you know... Parker Posey's likable, but that's because she's... I mean, she's a bitch and an asshole, but, like... Because the way she's portraying her, it's yeah. like, oh, you know... If you met her in real life, you'd be like, oh, what a, what a cunt, you know? But Dion Richman is Tyson. He's the only likable person on that whole stab crew. And you feel bad when he gets... He... Yeah, he's just... I can't, I can't say that. He gets stabbed a bunch of times. I know. Like he, he's like, he's like really like wholesome, nice. You know, yeah. he realizes he's the token black guy. You know, yeah. Too bad for him. Too bad. Always felt bad, but he. Yeah. Got, I think he d- does an adequate job. Doesn't get a lot to do. 
I think he does a pretty good job, you know, with his character. He yeah. makes, like, like you said, makes him likable. Yeah. Uh, Angelina, Emily, Mort- Emily Mortimer plays her. Um, not memorable at all. No. Really. Not at all. Um, so, so no, nothing really to say there. I like, uh, Lance Hendrickson in this movie. Um, you know, obviously he's supposed to play the sort of skeezy, yeah, yeah skeezy producer guy. Um, but I mean, I like him and it's a little bit of a different character here because in the nineties, a lot of time Lance Henriksen would sign on to do a production and they would only have him for a really short amount of time. So they'd film all of the scenes at like one time and then they would market him as being in the film. But he really wasn't in the film that often. Like they would have him be in key scenes, but he really was not a major player. Um, and he would normally play like the hero type. So in this film, he's got a little bit of a different uh, character. And I think that was Wes Craven casting him in that sense because he didn't want him to be, he wanted to be, him to be in here and be recognized, but not for the same types of characters that he would normally be. So, you know, I think that was a good touch for it. Um, Matt Keesler is, um, Tom. Yeah. There's the Dewey stand in there. The, the, I call Matthew McConaughey cause he, couple of times a little all right all right you know, when, he's ta- when he's talking yeah i just like that they casted like 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 this suave slick backed haired guy to you know like matthew mcconaughey looking fucker to be dewey you know yep and and you get to see dewey kind of like yeah, he's playing me you yeah know? yeah he's uh because very proud because gail's like who the hell is he supposed to be and dewey's like that's supposed to be me um other than that I think that's that's about it. Um, you know, fairly good cast all around, and um, they do get a bunch of new faces in here because of the stab three filming at the time at the same time. So, um, helps to add fodder for the ghost face killer too. Gives them a reason to actually start killing people. Yeah. Um. That's about it for me. You got anything else to add about Scream 3 before we give it a rating? No, that's about it. Covered a lot of ground there. Yeah, um, you know, I would say that it's not a, you know, there's not a whole lot going on for it that you can really pick out. So it's, it has its funny scenes. I would say one of the one of the funnier scenes is when Ghostface chucks the knife at Dewey and it flips Matt, around and hits him with the the butt of it and he tumbles down the stairs uh, again. like some of these scenes like are so cheesy i can just imagine when he have to when imagine he, when he i can just imagine when he fell down the stairs like they should have just added like before they fade to black like courtney cox just be like oh do we yeah <laughs> yeah all right so out of a scale of uh 10 creed posters <laughs> what would you give scream three i'll give it a six um, it's. I think even though it's a greatly flawed film, it's still enjoyable. I think the campiness works m- much better in this film than it did in Scream Two. Or Scream Two, it's kind of a little annoying about how Scooby Doo esque it is. Here, I think you know, with the whole kind of new nightmare idea of it being a movie within a movie, um, uh, makes the campiness work, and it's. Camp kind of it's more campy from the get go than compared to Scream Two. Um, I think our main play, cast of players they're all great. Courtney Cox does a great job. David Arquette does a great job. Nev Campbell does a great job. Underutilized, but great job. Um, I think the kills in this film are terrible. Outside of the poor Matt Kessler getting fucking 
Jeff Daniels <laughs> from Speed. Um, I think half the supporting cast is good. Parker Posey's definitely the highlight of this film. I'd say if for any reason to watch this film is to watch Parker Posey's performance because she's great, hilarious, and just a ball to watch. Um, I think the story has some interesting ideas in it, like the whole idea of it being focused around the new Stab film and the ideas of there being different scripts out and the killings being based off of the scripts, but they drop a lot of these ideas and don't go all the way with them. And that can be pretty annoying. I think the whole fact that Roman's the killer is kind of a half-assed, very cliched, like, oh, you had a half-brother all along. And the fact that the film doesn't give you any red herrings at all in the film outside of Kincaid and Milton, and the fingers aren't really pointed at them to begin with, it makes the whole build-up to the end very... They have no tenseness to it at all. I do enjoy the, the fight scenes, though, because they are kind of campy and, you know, hamming it up like uh, like a good old-fashioned bar brawl, so that's a plus. Well, I'd, I'd give it a six. It's definitely probably the the weakest of all the screams, um, but I still think it's worth watching because it's, I think, on the whole, due to its performance and direction by Wes Craven, uh better than most slasher films and you'll probably see even at half-baked mode uh yeah i would probably i, I six sounds pretty good to me um i think it's a, it can be a fun film if you're watching it in the right mindset um if you're watching it as sort of like a serious um sequel to scream you're gonna be disappointed but if as long as you're into uh having fun with it um, you're open to the campiness that is inherent to this, especially since we are following Dewey and Gale f- throughout most of the film. And Sydney is sort of a, a, a secondary story here. Um, you're going to enjoy it. You're, if you liked a meta commentary that Wes Craven did with new nightmare, um, this is not up to that point, but it's still uh, a nice addition to scream, especially with that whole stab three area where it, it adds some characters that you, um, you can follow until they're killed off by Ghostface. Um, unlike what Randy says, this film doesn't have enough, um, strengths to actually kill off its, its, uh, main characters. Um, and I think people probably would have rioted if they did for whatever reason, Gail, Dewey and Sydney, I think they were felt like they were untouchable at this point. So they really, they didn't feel like they could kill them off, but that is, um, point i forgot to brought it up that is like the whole fact that this time you bring brandy back from the dead just for that whole yeah. video segment to spill out the rules of a trilogy and none of the rules from that even apply yeah you know i think that's kind of trying to say like oh they broke like they broke the mold mm. but at the same time you know shitty bait and switch yeah yeah and i think like the biggest flaw in scream 3 besides it's sort of it has its like dull moments. It has a a lot of not so great kills. Um, the worst aspect is Roman as a character because it's really shoehorned in there that you know this is the explanation for everything that's gone on since the beginning with Scream that he's sort of set in play all of this stuff with Billy. Um, I think that it's you know it's really just forced on this movie in particular to to try to do a wrap up 
And if they had just kind of gone with Roman as another crazy guy who's gotten obsessed with Sydney, I think it would have worked even better than just having trying to uh, make sure that everything gets wrapped up and tied together. Especially because he's the director of Stab 3, so instead of like making yeah. a fake story about Sydney, he's going to make his own. Yeah, yeah. You know. or, or, you know, trying to um, facilitate a Stab 4 or something like but that. But yeah. I think that idea gets picked up in the next one. So. Yeah, it does, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, you know, Scream 3 is fairly fun. It's definitely, for me, the weakest film in the series. Um, and at this point, it definitely goes Scream 1, Scream 2, Scream 3 for me. And uh, <clears throat> um, I do think that people should watch Scream 3 as, as just to finish out what was originally intended as the trilogy. But, um, you know, it goes downhill with Scream 3. And you can see, especially here in the 2000s, where... Um, horror films sort of got caught in a rut a little bit and um, kind of reiterated on the same topics. Just got to wait three years for Saw. Yeah. <laughs> um, Until that runs the formula into yeah. it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right. So uh, we are going to be back in two weeks with Scream 4. It'll be the end of our Scream Marathon, the last film in the series. Um, looking forward to it. I've only seen Scream 4 one time. And, um, so I'm, I'm ready to watch it again and, and, uh, pick it apart. It'll be fun. I think it'll be an interesting talk. Yeah, me too. Uh, thanks for listening. We are on Podbean, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, pretty much any podcasting app, um, where that you can listen on. We're on it. We're on Spotify too. Um, we, um, also have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash blood and black rum podcast. We're on Twitter at blood and black rum. And we have an email address at blood and black rum podcast at gmail.com where you can write to us, let us know what you think of the show and any suggestions you have for uh, upcoming episodes uh, for movies that we'll cover. Um, thanks for listening. Catch us in two weeks for scream four. And we hope to see you back. Thank you.